Hey folks, this is Mark Kenyon of WiredToHunt.com and the Wired to Hunt podcast, and you are listening to the audio version of the 100% Wild podcast, a collaboration between Wired to Hunt and Drury Outdoors, in which I, my co-host Matt Drury, and a special guest answer your very own hunting questions. And in today's episode, we actually have two guests, those being Mark Drury and John O'Dell of the Drury Outdoors team, and we're answering a listener-submitted question about calling deer. I think you're really going to enjoy and learn a lot from this one. So, without further ado, here's our live recording from yesterday afternoon. Hey everybody, welcome to the 100% Wild Podcast, brought to you by Wired to Hunt and DoD TV. As usual, we have... We have Mark Drury. <laughs> Sorry. We have Matt Drury of Drury Outdoors. We got Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt. And we also have a special guest, Matt uh, Mark Drury. Yeah, it's, well, thank you, Joe. <laughs> a lot of Drury's. That's a lot of Drury's. I am quite too many marks. today. It's, it's two Marks and two Drury's. Two Marks. <laughs> On-call guest with John O'Dell. So take it away, guys, and pardon my blubbering. <laughs> thank you, Joe. The, the, the fun of live TV. But welcome, everyone, to episode number five of the 100% Wild Podcast. Like Joe said, I'm Mark Kenyon, and we've got a couple Drury's in the studio. How are you guys doing? Good, buddy. How are you doing? Very well. I uh, am just... Uh, t- Mark. What's that? Where are you today? Where's Waldo? The this, this scene looks a little different here, buddy. It is. I actually had to rent an office space today because I'm in Jackson Hole, Wyoming for the month. So uh, I found a little office space here with some internet connection, and uh, I'm taking some time out from fly fishing to chat today. So <laughs> this, is, this is fun, though. Get out of here, man. That uh, is awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Live the dream. I can't so complain. What's your plan here? You're out there for two months? Are you out traveling for two months? Yeah, so my wife and I both have really flexible jobs when it comes to location. So we rented a place here in just outside of Jackson Hole, Wyoming for the month of June. And then we have a place in Bozeman, Montana for the month of July. So we're working and vacationing kind of a little bit of both. Going to hike a lot, do a lot of backpacking, fly fishing, do some scouting for some upcoming hunts. And, uh, you know, try to get a little work done too. But uh, that's the game plan. That's awesome, man. <laughs> that is awesome, man. I love it. We're jealous, like yeah, Matt said. Very. Hey, if you guys ever, ever ever come on out this way, you got a place to stay. Yeah, we're just here slaving away at the studio. Yeah. It's, it's deadline, deadline time here. All of our shows uh, on the Outdoor Channel get ready to air at the end of June, the week of June 27th, actually. So uh, all the editors and, and everybody scrambling here to get – all of our new shows out for Bow Madness and Dream Season and 13. And we've been proofing stuff all this week. And I got to tell you, I, I think you're really going to like this season of shows. I think they're going to love them, man. Just going through those first three shows, just powerful. A little bit of everything, yeah. man. Yeah, for sure. Drama, big bucks, incredible hunting, incredible everything. The guys really knocked it out of the park they again did. this year, both the team and the edit staff here in the studio. So. Absolutely. Exciting. Awesome. A lot of stress because a lot of deadlines, you know. Yeah. But, uh, it's pretty good stuff. I was just going to ask about that. How it's got to be just mentally grueling trying to go through all this stuff in such a short period of time, you know, knowing that the deadline and these shows are actually going to be on air soon. I always kind of assumed from the outside that that happened so long before these shows actually aired. But now as I've kind of learned, it's it's kind of a tight turnaround, isn't it? Well, it shouldn't be, <laughs> but it, it tends to be. So we, we have a lot of rough cuts. So there's kind of a process that we go through. Our, our producers and editors are actually rough cutting the shows more or less kind of real time. Um, not all the shows, but on 13 and, and Bo Madness, when the, the content's produced, 
we get it into the studio from the teams and, and the guys start working on it, whether it's logging it or, or whatever the case may be. There's a lot of steps that have to happen before they get to the final point. But to in order for us to do our interviews and our teams to do interviews, they have to have something to watch. And so the editors are working out in front of them, getting some rough cuts. And then from there, those rough cuts, and once we get to all the interviews done, usually in the month of May, then we have to get the final cut and then graphics and, and, and kind of there's a lot of final steps that seem to never happen until the week it's, it's due. And, and it's just kind of the nature of the beast. We've been doing it forever. And it no matter when we start, it always it always comes down to the week it's, it's due. And then the problem gets worse because once week one, you, you fire that gun and you go, okay, show shows one or due. So we ship all three. Bow Madness, Dream Season, and uh, thir 13 out, and then every week subsequently for 13 weeks, three more originals are due. So we will ship 39 original episodes between now and uh, what? It's usually early August. August. Yeah. yeah, early August. Yeah, so it's, so, uh, it's a stressful time. So here's my question, Mark. Do you sleep less at this time of year or during hunting season? All the above. I mean, it's just <laughs> of naps more often than not but i probably sleep better during the fall hunting season than any other time just because you know the daylight is shorter you know uh turkey season that's just a series of naps and this time of the year we're, we're pretty busy so we don't we don't sleep a whole heck of a lot now if you were to talk to the editors who are the ones that have to push the keys and and, and really put in the hours in front of a computer those guys this is a, a tough time of year for well, them well joe tyranny who started the show off he stayed here three nights in a row oh, wow. <laughs> he slept by his desk <laughs> trying to get these renders done and getting all the graphics done. Oh, so yeah. he, he had reason to flip up a name or two there at the front end of the show. Sleep he's, that he's still trying back. to get caught up because yeah. he spent three nights in a row here at his desk. Well, it's, all, it's always good when the boss gives you an excuse. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, the editors, I mean, they do such a good job and they work their butts off. And, and you guys will see, the viewers at home will see, uh, kind of the fruits of their labor come into uh, June and all through you know the rest of the season here. It's they did a phenomenal job. Show one was awesome on all, all three, three shows. shows. Unbelievable. Yeah. So wow, what doesn't we do? Isn't the Jim Tomey episode one of the early ones coming out for thirteen that we talked about last week? Yeah, episode two actually on thirteen. Right. Yeah, all so right. It should be the week of uh, fourth. I guess early right July? after Fourth of July. Yeah, yeah. so. It's a good one. That. The pre-roll pre for that deer, it's it just crazy. Which, there's so much of it. You know, to, on, on a show, you have about 22 minutes to work with. By the time you put everything in there, weekly intros, outros, the informational part on 13, you got about 14, 15 yeah. minutes of actual content. Well, they filmed this 199, or was it 196? 196. Yeah, uh, 196 inch typical for 45 minutes or 35 whatever it was you know that got cut down to seven minutes so if that's that, what, yeah maybe like four minutes so that's why we're going to do some extra stuff on dod tv oh, cool. uh to show some of the cutting room floor stuff because you just don't you literally don't have room for it on television the same will hold true with october later in the year we had 45 minutes of footage of him and it's six or seven on the show so. yeah so th that's something to look forward to on the on the YouTube page here. Uh, coming up in July, August, September, there'll be some cutting room floor stuff that we put out each week that coincides with that week's episode of 13. And I think I think people really enjoy that as I much as they the will. show because yeah. it's so there's there's a lot of stuff that gets cut that's worth that could be whole episodes. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, 
I'm looking forward to that. I really enjoyed what you guys did with the whole Captain Hook story and the flexibility that you guys now have with the YouTube channel and being able to do what you just said, add the cutting room floor stuff back out into the world so we can see that. That's, that's the cool stuff, some of the coolest stuff, I think. So I'm really excited to see that. Absolutely. We're excited to share it. Yeah. So should we, Matt, introduce our second special guest that we have here with us today, too? Yeah, absolutely. We have John O'Dell here with us, and, and he's been on our team for probably 20, 22, 23 years. John, are you there? Yes, I'm here. How, how long have you been years. with us? 23 years. You and Dave Reisner. Look at him behind that monstrous Texas giant, 200 inches of unbelievable bone. How, was, how did that feel, John, when you saw that deer coming? Well, I mean, it was, it was pretty awesome. You know, I like we talked about, uh, I've been with Drew Outdoors for 23 years, and that's the largest whitetail that I've ever knowingly been hunting for. And you know, fortunately, Mother Nature threw me a bone, and that you know we had ample rain at the right time of year, so that you know there were optimal growing conditions for that particular buck, and he jumped a good 40 inches from the prior year. And um, then you know I, I was fortunate again, and that right before the deer season, several weeks before deer season, it was just hot and dry like you'd expect in South Texas, and it really helped me you know, utilize my Reconyx cameras and really narrow my focus on how to hunt this buck and like you say when he first showed up you know you, do, you know what they say about the best laid plans I uh, you know I did everything I that I knew to do but I was still just amazed when he actually showed up and then you have to try to keep everything together keep your, you know, your nerves calm and and make a good shot unfortunately I was able to do that but it was just an amazing hunt an amazing whitetail so for that hunt as you kind of alluded to the, your reconnex cameras and, and water was kind of the the story for you leading into that right you got the good the good spring and then you were capturing that deer's pictures and video on the reconnex cameras coming to your water holes yes exactly so i mean the texan uh, texas parks and wildlife did an interesting uh, study on they said that this year this past season in texas was going to be probably one of the most productive for antler development in the past decade in specific parts of the state and i'm fortunate and then i get to hunt in the you know what's called the golden triangle which is a series of counties in there in south texas that has some of the most um you know, boone and crockett grossing deer in, in anywhere in north america and so in that particular area um you know that uh, you know scenario laid out perfectly and that you know we had rain at the right time and then i had an idea based on their conics cameras of where this buck was coming to drink water and he was basically coming off of a sunflower a big you know, I think five-acre sunflower seed field. He was hitting that, you know, overnight in the early morning, and then he was basically, as he was coming back to bed, he would stop at either the small lake or a water tank and then go back to bed in this really thick South Texas brush. And So I was able to, you know, put up a couple of muddy redemption lines by monitoring those cameras. I had him pretty dialed up the first morning I went, and I said to wait for an east wind, and once I got it, luckily for me, he you know, was just like I just like I scripted it. He showed up, and I made a good shot. We're, uh, we're sh we showed the picture of that deer. Joe, are you showing B-roll of that specific deer right now, or is it a different deer you're showing? Uh, I am not actually sure. <laughs> so the deer, the deer that I don't know that we're showing the actual footage of that right now. So just they're so the viewers at home, they're just showing B-roll. Yeah, we but, just kind of made a collection of his hunts. Right. Yeah. So the footage of this hunt will be this this summer airing on Bow Madness. I don't know exactly what episode it is, but uh, we look forward to sharing that. Because here, too, you had a lot of good pre-roll of that deer coming before you actually made the shot, right? Yeah, actually, that, that's one of my favorite reconnex clips of all time, which is saying a lot, because I find a few that I love. But I have footage of him a couple of days before um, I hunted him doing exactly what I wanted to do, eight yards from my money redemption blind. And 
that really was the final piece of the puzzle that confirmed that as soon as I had the right wind, I was going to hunt that spot. Nice. So how far away do you live from where you hunt? Um, it's probably about a two, two and a half hour drive, I guess. So, you know, as you can imagine, I spend a lot of time on the road, back and forth, setting cameras, you know, moving cameras around, just getting prepared for the season. So I don't know how many hours and miles I had on the road or how much time I had thinking about this particular deer in the last two seasons, but I can tell you it was quite a bit. Because that's not an outfitter. That's a, that's an actual lease that you have down there, correct? Yeah, it's actually a private family ranch. It's just I've um, been able to maintain and cultivate there in South Texas, so it's really through a friend of a friend, and we've just become really tight over the last few years, and they're, I'm you know, blessed that they afford me the opportunity to hunt on their on their ranch. It's a ranch they've had for in their family for over 50 years, and it's just some of the best you know, whitetail hunting I've seen anywhere in South Texas. It's a good friend to have. That's a great friend. <laughs> That's a great friend. I've been trying to make friends with Mark. It just is. <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> so, well, Matt. Yeah, Mark Kenyon, you want to move to our question of the day today? I think we should. We've got a great question. I think it's one that a lot of people will be able to relate to. So uh, how about uh, how about you kick it off, Matt? Uh, my question is, what buck vocalizations have you found to work best uh, i struggle in the high pressure northeast where deer seem to run away or pay no attention to the sounds i throw at them your help would be appreciated thanks for the podcast keep up the good work yeah That's thank you thank you Garrett, for the question yeah i agree matt and um I was thinking maybe we've got all sorts of people who can, who can speak to this here on this episode, but Mark, maybe do you want to do you want to kick us off with a couple thoughts on that? You know, what types of calls might work in that type of situation? Yeah, calling is always um, it varies per situation, it varies per deer, it varies per day. Um, first and foremost, when it comes to calling, like everything else with deer hunting, it is very weather dependent as to how much success you can expect to have. And that all comes down to the mood of the deer. I always love those high pressure days. Those days where the deer are moving the best are generally the days that I have the most success with call. They're just in a better mood. They're up, they're gonna go and investigate. Now, when you get into a situation like Garrett's question with high pressure, high pressure from hunting uh, pressure, then that will change your deer herd. And there's a lot of things that will also affect how a deer responds to calling. Most importantly, it has to do with herd ratio. If your buck to doe ratio is out of whack and you've got 10 does to every buck, you probably aren't going to see a lot of success when it comes to calling. And that gets worsened if you have a lot of pressure from other hunters that are calling all the time. Terry and I often reflect back to our days in Pike County, Illinois, when it was at the peak of outfitting over there. There was literally an outfitter in every other block of ground, and they would bring a new set of hunters in every five days. That new set of hunters wanted to kill a giant, and they would sit there. It, we could hear them from our stands. <laughs> like, they would get there, they would start rattling the time they started hunting until they left five days later. Then a new guy would come in, and he'd sound completely different. He, you know, one guy had a mad call, the next guy had a primos, the next guy had a night hail. You could almost hear the tones, and they'd blow them all day long. Terry and I would sit there and laugh at that, yeah. at how they, they presented themselves. And consequently, we quit calling because every time we tried, 
those deer would walk the other way or they would run the other way because they've already been called in multiple times. They've already smelled the hunter and probably seen the hunter, seen the hunter instinctively. They will always go downwind of the call. And we saw them going further and further and further downwind. And we just said, you know what, we're doing more harm than good. So Garrett, that may not be the answer that you want, but it might be the answer that you need. If you're having bad luck and adverse responses to your calling because of hunting pressure, then I would probably stop calling unless you have a gun on your hand where you can see your downwind side and see it for quite a ways because they're going to get to your downwind side. They're going to catch you. And uh, I'll say this, the more that I hunt, regardless of hunting pressure or not, I hunt in Iowa where I would say we have hunting pressure, but most of it comes during gun season. There's not a lot of calling going on. So during the rut, uh, it's minimal. Even then, the longer I hunt, the less I call. However, the more luck I have when I do call. So I'm looking for the right deer in the right position in the right mood, and then I'm going to call to him, and, and I have a lot of luck calling. We actually just proofed an episode, uh, I think it's episode three or four when we were doing interviews for 13, and you killed a deer you called the Lone Tin. And I actually had an encounter with uh, the deer that I was after uh, called Uni. And I was calling. It was, the, it was actually one of those phases where the tactic was to start calling. And I didn't have luck, but you did. And, and I thought, well, is it something I'm doing? Obviously, the inexperience or that's kind of what goes into the back of your mind. He, he was listening. He was looking, but it never actually could turn him to bring him back in. And you had an interesting point about that. Well, yeah, you know. He, he looked, kept looking, looking, and then he finally just walked away a little sheepishly. And that, more often than not, as a hunter, you're going to go, what did I do wrong? I screwed that up. You know, he didn't come. But in reality, it really probably was a bigger deer in the area, and that's the reason he didn't come in. He'd probably already been horned or gored or whatever, and he wouldn't come to it. It happens to me all the time because we manage intensively. And there's a bunch of five and six year old deer walking around. Well, those threes and fours aren't going to come running into a fight every time because they have before and they got their butts kicked. So even though you have a deer make an adverse move or walk away, it doesn't always necessarily mean there's too much hunting pressure. Or you did something wrong. In reality, it may just be that he's scared to death. So consequently, the best deer that I call in or the times that I have the most luck is when you're calling to the oldest deer in the herd. In other words, if your deer herd there's a bunch of threes around and nothing older they're going to react the best in our case where we have some five and six year old deer those are the deer that i pick on and i try to call to. and that lone tin that same episode you called pretty aggressively and called him pretty much at the base of your tree didn't you absolutely came directly to it because that's the other thing i don't call to them when they're younger because i'm waiting to save my chips you know when i might see a deer when he's when he's older well I knew all the pictures in that area. He was the king of the mountain, 178 inch typical buck. He'd been there his whole life. He was seven and a half. The only other deer I knew in the area that was probably four or five because I got a hole in my herd because of EHD. It wiped out a bunch of age classes. So he's the king of the mountain. Yeah. He wasn't scared. And the moment I called, he was on his way. I mean, it, it was like calling to a hot turkey in all honesty. That's, and the footage is amazing. I mean, the footage yeah, is cool. deluxe. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. And, and that doesn't always happen, but it, it's... It was the right weather day. He was up on his feet. He was in the right mood. He was the right age, and, and he came. But there's a lot of things the stars have to line up for you to succeed. Getting back to Garrett's question, uh, if you are going to call, because deer are still going to vocalize. Just because they're getting um, scared by a lot of hunting pressure doesn't mean they're going to stop vocalizing or stop with their vocalizations. If a buck's running a doe, he's going to grunt, okay? So other bucks are going to come to that. So 
Garrett, what I might do, if, if you can either A, back off the calling order altogether, or if you're going to call, keep it soft and subtle and stay on the lowest rung of that ladder and don't get overly aggressive. That would be my, my best advice for you, I think. Mark Kenyon, you think we should uh, pitch it to John O'Dell here and see what his input is? I know he's hunted many places in, in the country, whitetail hunted, but uh, he actually lived there out east for a while. Yeah, I agree. I'd be curious. John, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so um, like many of the people probably listening to this podcast, I learned most of what I know from listening and talking with Mark and Terry Drury and then from the white cell themselves. And so I would say, you know, Mark hit on all the key points, you know, time of year, body language, buck to ratio, weather, and certainly being cognizant of your wind direction. But with that being said, I, I absolutely agree having hunted in Virginia, North Carolina, and also in Pike County where you get a lot of pressure. Um, I, I try to keep things on the low side. Generally, only call to deer that I can see and see how they react based on their body language. Um, uh, and one example of that, when I was in Pike County, there was we were on a, a field edge of a cut bean field, and you know, the, the deer thirty, the deer just started piling in. It was late October, so it was the right time of year that you know, the deer were starting to feel their oats a little bit as far as the you know, pre-rut. And um, there was one buck in particular uh, that I judged to be a four-year-old eight-pointer, and he. You know, sometimes it's not necessarily the, the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. And he was definitely running every buck that would come in the field. He would run them off. And so I started off with the soft grunts, and for whatever reason, he just couldn't hear those. So in that particular instance, I went to, um, you know, doing a snort wheeze, and I followed it with a short rattling sequence, and it, it literally brought him right to my tree. But I would definitely concur and say that you know, I would I would pretty much only call the deer that I, I felt like I had a chance to call in that you know, couldn't necessarily get to my down one side. And, you know, based on time of year, if it seemed like the right time of year, the calling could be effective, and I can see that particular deer. I would, I would start out with the you know, soft grunts, and then if you need to, then climb the ladder with maybe some smart weeds or some buck growling and see if you can get that, you know, that buck to respond positively. That's an interesting point. I've always heard uh, Mark Drury and, and Dad talk about that. you got to, you know, as a, a newer hunter, you, when you – you don't really know what you're doing all the time out there when it comes to calling. And I've always asked advice from these guys, and I said, you got to try to sound like a deer, what they would be doing. So you, you touched on that, John, painting the picture, a little bit of everything, uh, and, and trying to build up to maybe that fight or those two bucks coming together or whatever the case may be and rattling. Is that something that you do often, Mark? I, I do if the timing's right. You know, if you get into that phase of the of the year when they're really starting to expand home territories there, I think we call it buck parade, uh, November 5th through the 7th or 8th, whatever that, that date range is. That's the time that I get really, really loud and get aggressive because you can. There's a lot of different bucks coming into different territories. However, earlier in the season, I'm always soft and subtle because those bucks aren't moving as far and they're in their home range. So they, you know, there's not a lot of the bucks moving around. You don't get a lot of fighting. So that's that's the time of the year that it's more of a communication type soft grunting, you know, very, very soft. I like to keep it really, really low on the ladder. What about blind calling, not seeing, because that's, I think to your point when you were hunting in Illinois and those guys would come in and they're hunting at an outfitter, you know, you're sitting there in your tree and you're like, yeah, nothing's happening. I got to make something happen. I only right. got four or five days here. I'm going to blind call or blind rattle. Well, is that something that you guys probably shy away from a little more now and you're kind of you know, you've been doing this for 30, 40 years now. I would say almost never an yeah. answer to that. I just, I'm like, John, I like to see the deer, see what mood he's in, make sure he's in an upwind position, make sure my downwind is real good. And if I'm in the middle of a, of a hardwoods or in the middle of, of cover, I almost never call. Not unless it's really old deer. Like even in that situation where I call the lone 10 in, 
I had a big fence row that my trees in, solid wall of brush, and behind me was nothing but open CRP grass. So I felt like he's not going to go out there to check me. He came straight to me. So I don't like getting where a deer can get downwind very easily. So I seldom, if ever, blind call. I do it in Texas, but we've got a lot of room to roam, you know. So we do a lot of cutting and running, if you will, rattle and run. We call it. We'll have rifles in hand. Don't yeah. do it with a bow very much, but uh, have a lot of luck there. But it's you know ten thousand acres. Yeah. It's not. You know, most guys are probably dealing with 40 acres, 80 acres, yeah. 10 acres. Who yeah. knows? So if I'm in that situation, I'm probably not going to call at all, perhaps. It's tough to, as, a, as, a, as a novice hunter. It's very tough not to want to call. It's like, man, I'm not seeing anything. It's, it's like you almost have to lock that thing away in the pack because it's, it's just, you know, if you're sitting there, me and a camera guy, and it's like, well, you know, nothing's happening. It's like, oh, hey, give it a call. Just see what, you know, if we get any reaction. Well, I did that once this year, blind called. And sure enough, here comes Uni, and then he saw us. We weren't prepared. He came from or down one side, and then sure enough, he pops back up right in front of us, you know, through the brush. We never saw him coming. It's like, all right, I really just royally screwed that chance up. <laughs> but it's so tough to do, you know. Haven't we all, though? I mean, that's why you're out there. And the, the other thing that uh, I think happens a lot in blind calling situations is younger deer come in. They catch your position, and then by the time they're four or five, they're going to circle downwind. It did it. We did it with Goliath, you know, one of the most uh, famous stories we've ever had at Drury Outdoors. I called him in when he was three and a half, and every year after that, that buck would not come close to coming into a call. Wow. And I called him in by mistake when I was actually calling to another deer. Skyscraper. And, skyscraper, yeah. <laughs> And, um, not just any deer. Not just any deer, yeah. But um, I was calling that morning. He came in on the downwind side. Skyscraper eventually followed a doe in. But after that, he knew he knew our position, and he knew before he went to another fight, regardless of his age or stature, he was going to circle way downwind. He was just one of those deer. You can't educate him, so that's why I don't blind call a lot. That's good advice. Mark, have you had much experience on your end with uh, calling? Yeah, yeah, and I think everything that Mark and John said really is spot on. And I think what's interesting is, is we've talked about two different situations here we've talked about the situation like where you guys are at in Iowa or Missouri when there is a little bit better age structure maybe fewer hunters and some of these calling techniques can work a little bit better and then you've got the situation like Garrett has in Pennsylvania or New York or where I live in Michigan where just so much hunting pressure you just really need to take a totally different tact and so I think what you guys said is is right in line with what I think which is number one really keep it minimal when it comes to calling in areas like that and then number two if you are going to call just like you said mark i found my best success is just light contact grunts really not getting too aggressive because you know in michigan you know a there's not a whole lot of bucks b there's tons of hunters and then c the bucks that are around are mostly year and a half olds maybe a two and a half year old occasionally you'll get an older deer so if you start making a bunch of snort wheezes that's something they're not used to and these young deer aren't going to uh, aren't going to behave very very well in that type of situation so you can cause a lot more harm than good so i keep it really kind of simple minimal and the one other thing that we haven't talked about that i'd be kind of curious about your thoughts mark would be when it comes to making a call paying attention to that to that behavior that body language and then i think some people sometimes try to go too far you know they call once the buck perks up his ears and maybe starts walking towards you but then they keep calling They're like oh this is good i'm gonna keep calling and i think that's a big mistake i always have found that as soon as i start getting the, the reaction i want to get i shut up as soon as possible i don't want to screw it up if, if it's a good thing i'm not going to mess it up any further um so that's one tip that i found to work pretty well is to you know quit while you're still ahead if you have that type of situation would you agree with that mark 
100%. Everything you just said there is exactly right. Curiosity kills the cat when it comes to calling and whitetail deer. Less is more. If you just keep pouring it on, pouring it on, you're thinking, get here faster because adrenaline and you're excited in the moment. And you think, get in here, get in here, get in here. And that's not going to work. You're better off to pique their curiosity and then let them seek you out. You know, you're better off calling less than more. So in a situation like that, <clears throat> say you pique their interest, okay? And say they're at 50, 60 yards, you pique their interest, but their, their body posture, it's not really turning your way. Their head, they're looking back. Their ears are perking up, but they, they're still slowly walking away. Do you start to climb that ladder then at that point because he's noticed you're there or what? how do you go about it? It, it? it depends if he gave me a visual that he heard me because more often than not, they don't hear you. You know, if it's windy or something, there's a lot of leaves rustling, they may not hear you. But if they do hear you and turn like they definitely heard you and he doesn't come, I'm waiting for another day. I don't want to burn a chip, you know, or I might change vocalizations based on the situation and the time of the year. A lot of that is so timing related, you know, because that lone 10, if I'd have rewound the clock about five or six days and I'd have seen him, he probably wouldn't have reacted like that. There's that testosterone that's constantly rising throughout the fall. And if you catch him on the right day with the right amount of testosterone without a girlfriend, he's going to be more likely to come in and check you out than when his testosterone's low in the wrong weather and he's got does around him. Gotcha. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a numbers game. Yeah. It's a lot like baseball, man. You're going to, you're going to succeed maybe one out of 20 times you're going to fail 19 out of 20 if i had to put a, a number on it what would you think john or dale yes no i absolutely agree with everything that you're saying i 100 agree that less is more and you utilize curiosity to, i mean there's probably i probably called in more bucks than anything else with a single grunt or just a couple of grunts that got their attention and turned, you know turned them just enough to come my way and you know absolutely what mark was saying with regard to again back to time here time here i think is critical and as that testosterone rises and those bucks get more and more amorous, more and more, you know, excited about you know, trying to chase off other bucks or find you know, receptive does. Obviously, that's the most effective time. So maybe during that time of year, it increases those odds from that one out of 20 to slightly higher, but um, certainly the most effective time of year. But um, again, it's, uh, you know, I would agree with, with everything that Mark and Mark said. I think I'm, I think for the next three years, I've educated my deer herd this map. <laughs> You'll have to wait till they all die. And yeah, that's what, up, right? that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> this is great news for me. <laughs> so, so Mark, I think I saw you had a couple calls over there with you. Do you by chance have any interest in demoing a few of these different vocalizations that might work? Sure. We've been talking a lot about contact grunts, and I'll do it here on, on an original Mad Grunt Snort Weave. And that's just a real soft grunt. You know, if you can barely breathe, you can make a grunt call sound just like a deer. The grunt calls that are on the market today are so realistic over those original grunt calls that were out, say, 20, 25 years ago. We've got the softer rubbers and internal chambers and everything, and they sound just like a deer. The snort wheeze that John O'Dell referred to earlier is more like this. Just like that. It's an exhaling of hair. It's air. It's almost like a cat. When they hiss at another cat, same thing a buck's doing. It's it's a posturing, like, get away from me or I'm, I'm going to knock you out. You know, I mean, that's basically what that's he's saying. That's when their hair starts to rise. It and is. Their ears pin back a little bit. And does can snort wheeze, you know. Really? Absolutely. Know you get two does mad at each other, they'll at each other absolutely yeah it's just like a cat hissing at another one get away you know you're in my space here. yeah how about rattling i mean when you when you do you couple that with rattling often you said not not very often or i, I often do uh it's again it's situational and if i've got a great downwind uh, blocker a creek or a fence or whatever then i'm going to get in there and i'm going to rattle 
And I think the key thing with rattling is, once again, curiosity kills the cat. I don't rattle very long, man. I'll, I'll rattle 15 to 20 seconds, and that's generally all it takes to get a deer's attention. I also, when I go for rattling antlers, I like natural horns. I want the highest pitch sounding set that I can find. That's generally a two or three year old deer like this, and I want them high pitched, okay? Really? It, and, and I learned that through years and years of Terry and I testing our rattling horns to each other. I'm really having a lot of trouble with this ear, but <laughs> I need bigger ears. Uh, you, you get 200 yards from your buddy and have him rattle with two or three different sets. And it is remarkable, the difference in the sound quality. Higher pitch sounds, whether it be in turkey calling, deer calling, whatever it is, a girl's voice versus a guy's voice is the best analogy you can give. Higher pitch sounds travel farther, they travel faster, and they're much clearer when they get there. Therefore, higher pitched antlers, just by nature of their sound quality, are going to attract more deer because they are heard at a greater distance and more clearly. I, for some reason, I thought I heard somewhere, and, and the this may be totally false. This goes against what you're saying is that an older, you know, a four or five year old bucks antlers give you a more like a dense sound. They do. And, and so it makes the older bucks more interested and in, in, as opposed to a young bucks type of sound. Is that kind of a falsehood out there? It, it may be true in certain deer situation, but through time, you're going to crawl in more deer with a higher pitch set of antlers than you are a, a bigger older deep set that's yeah. my opinion that's what i've seen very interesting just because they can hear it more clearly yeah, yeah. cuts through that wind and yeah. it goes it, it travels further it is a fun experiment to sit with your buddy 200 yards apart and rattle in different conditions windy days calm days or record yourself mm -hmm. it is remarkable how hard they are to hear over about 150 or 200 yards with even a 10 to 15 mile an hour wind if they're low set you're certainly not going to hear them very interesting wow I agree, man. That is, that is super interesting, something I never thought about. Um, now, something I was just kind of thinking about as you're talking through this that we haven't touched on yet is bleeding. You know, any kind of fawn bleed or doe and estrus bleed or anything like that. You know, Mark, do you find that to be something to use, whether in a situation like where you guys are at or like Garrick's situation where there's you know, a lot of hunting pressure? Could that be an applicable call? You know, bleeding to me is a, is a sound quality that has been overused a little bit out there in the wild for for so many years it goes back to garrett's original questions pressure those can calls were sold at alarming rates i mean they really sold a lot of those can calls and everybody's like well it's easy i'm just going to turn this over and you saw a lot of visual response to it on tv shows and videos and so on and so forth and then all of a sudden the bucks weren't quite as responsive to them so i don't do a lot of bleeding i stick to grunting snort wheezing and generally uh, rattling. I also breathe a lot. If you watch bucks, especially when they're running a doe, I'll give that vocalization where I'm just breathing. You know, if you watch him, he'll be breathing real hard because he's been following her for a while and they run and they go at it and all of a sudden they stop and he'll stand there and he's just, his chest is doing that. And a lot of times I'll do nothing more than breathe heavily and I've had bucks come in and, and check that out. Sounds like me after I climb up into the tree stand. <laughs> you might be unknowingly doing your best calling at that point, Matt. <laughs> exactly. But I, in answer to your question, I don't do a lot of bleeding. John, do you do a lot of bleeding or do you stick to grunts and uh, snork wheezes and rattling? No, yeah, I definitely those have been the most effective for me for sure yeah i just i just don't do a lot of bleeding interesting a lot of good info today yeah this has been great i uh i've learned a thing or two and i gotta imagine a lot of other people have too do you think there's anything else we should cover matt i you know i'll pitch it to mark jury here he's he's more of the expert in the field well you know I'm sure I'd there's probably, a thousand things 
there's a lot. It's all situational, and every situation's different. And we've called in a lot of deer through the years. You know, one of the best, my best, highest scoring deer, I called in, and I blind called him in. So it goes, but that was back in '98. I've evolved since then. I don't do as much of it. But Terry had set the setup, and we had a good, good thing to block us there. A big brush pile. We, yeah. we climbed up over the brush pile, got in the tree. He said, "Rattle away." They can't get downwind, and he couldn't, and killed one of the biggest deer of my life, thanks to Brother Terry. But I'd throw it to John O'Dell. John relate a story where calling made the difference on a big deer absolutely made the difference for you okay yeah so um probably one of the best examples i have i was hunting there in southwest iowa and um you know it was one of those mornings where uh, you know the basically was right after a low pressure system so you know it'd been cold nasty overcast rainy for a couple of days and then we literally watched the weather channel to figure out when we thought we should get in the stand when that was supposed to push on through and high pressure was coming right behind it and we did that, and no sooner we climbed the tree, and a big, fully mature eight-pointer was down a ditch, and he was he was tending a doe, and it was clear that you know, it was evident they weren't going to come by the tree. So I started calling to that deer, and I you know again I started off, I started grunting, and you know he didn't really respond, so I kind of worked up and I, I did uh, a snort wheeze and you know nothing, and so but he he looked up, he didn't respond, so I went to rattling, and um, I actually didn't call in that deer, but a big four and a half year old ten pointer that was also on the hit list came literally right to 10 yards from the tree behind us and fortunately you know dave and i were able to stay composed and move without you know, spooking the deer and, and i was able to shoot you know one of my better deer there in iowa and you know it all happened because of calling and actually i was calling to a different deer but was fortunate that a, you know another a big mature buck came in and i was able to take him gotta love it that type of story though will keep you calling mm-hmm. you have one positive response and then you want to call every deer because you're like they're <laughs> it just doesn't doesn't happen that yeah. way I, I want to relay a story. Have we got enough time? Sure. We okay. got, hey, this is the internet. We got all the time yeah. in the world. <laughs> you guys are going to kick out of this story. John O'Dell may have heard it. I don't know if he has. I know Matt's heard it, but it's the best calling story that I have. It's myself and Brother Terry. We're in a two tree set, okay? We're in the pigeon timber in southeast Iowa, big block of timber, maybe two or 300 acres. Coincidentally enough, it's where Lee and Tiffany live right now. No connection. We used to hunt there. They ended up buying that farm, built their home there, and they had no knowledge of it. We found this out years later that they bought a place we used to hunt. Okay. So we're in these two trees. Terry and I, we've got like 10 or 12 bucks following the same doe. And one thing we've learned through the years, you get that many deer on one hot doe, that's a time regardless of where you're at, Pennsylvania, Florida, New York, Iowa, I don't care where you're at, you start calling because one or two of them is going to peel away. Well, there's two different deer in this group that are probably 170 to 180 class deer, all right? There's two or three others that are 150 or 160, and the rest were all younger wow. bucks. And I'm filming, and the bucks start going away from us, all right? So when they did that, I'm putting my back to Terry, all right? The bucks are going, they go through one hog back, and then up over another, and all of a sudden I can't see them anymore, and I'm like, I'm surprised Terry's not calling. So I get behind my back and I, I give him the rattle. You know, I'm telling him to rattle behind my back because I can't see looking through the camera. I've got it on a camera arm and a couple minutes go by and I give him a little bit more aggressively. All right. I wait a little bit. I still haven't heard anything. And I start going as hard as I can. <laughs> Eddie, we got adrenaline. We got gross boons in the woods here. He's not rattling. And at the top of his lungs, he goes, shut up. <laughs> I've not, I've not uttered a word, but it was big brother, little brother telling him what to do. And I turn around like this and he goes, you think you know so much? He goes, you want me to rattle? <laughs> he's, he's screaming at me out the top of his lungs. And I'm like, 
then I get mad and I'm like, you know, whatever. We have a few words there. He comes out of his safety belt. He's, he goes, I'm coming over there and I'm kicking your, you know, he goes down his tree. Okay. And I'm like, there's no chance to get my tree. I'm going to put my boot right in his face. You know? Cause I'm getting ready. I've still got my safety belt. I'm like, I'm going to take him out. So he gets halfway down his tree and I turn around. And when he said, you want me to rattle, I'll rattle. He starts doing this and rattling. All of a sudden I look up, here comes about 160 inch deer straight at us. All right. Out of the group. So the rest and I go, Terry, 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 Terry. And he's, he's all the way down at the base of his tree. And he looks up at me like, now what do you got to say? You know? And uh, I go, deer. He comes back up to his tree and the buck comes right in at like 15, 20 yards. And it was too much brush and he couldn't get a shot. But we both tell the story differently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the deer saved his life. He tells everybody yeah. the deer saved my life. Yeah. But that's my best rattling story right there. Two brothers, a lot of adrenaline. And um, he told me he was going to kill me. <laughs> And that's that's probably like the best brother brother jury outdoor story we've we have. That's the best one. The best part is the audio exists because the camera I left it rolling. I was I turned around like this. The audio's still there, and you guys here have listened to it time and again. And we can't replay it because the audio, you know, it's not G-rated like most of our stuff. <laughs> in the timber, and you know what? We climbed down out of that tree. We went to the truck, and we didn't speak for like two or three days I'm after sure that. We were so mad at each other. That is a story. Each other. <laughs> exactly. All right, let's get different. Let's do different filming partners. Yeah, <laughs> we, we preserve the company. Well, <laughs> but, but part of that, realistically, is you guys have different styles, and every hunter's got a different style. And uh, that big brother, little brother thing probably comes into play a little bit there. And it's like, hey, you're not gonna tell me what my style's gonna be. I just did it a little too aggressively. Yeah. <laughs> and people have seen. The dark side of Terry. Oh, absolutely. Man. Old man winter can get with it. And John, you can relate to this. If you, if all of a sudden emotion and adrenaline can turn to anger like that, you, your buddies are sitting there, yeah. and if things go a little wrong, you're mad at each other for yeah. no reason just because your emotions up, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Dave and I, um, we've been film, we've been, been filming together, I guess, longer than anybody, and we're still together. We're like an old married couple. People say that. So, you know, the scenario you just described, it can definitely happen and it can escalate pretty quickly no matter how good a friend you are. And, and like Matt said, everybody has a little bit different style, even though our styles are similar. There are definitely times where, especially after a long season, where, uh, you know, emotions and tempers can flare because you're, you're full of adrenaline, you're in the hunt, you're trying to make things happen, and then you know, that's what happens. Maybe where someone has missed a deer and someone gets upset. Is that ever the case, John? <laughs> <laughs> Are you trying to talk about this last season, man? <laughs> oh, I don't want to bring up. Oh, it's still stuff. happening. <laughs> Even I was texting you this town. Yeah, John was texting Mark and I like, I don't know what to do with Dave. And, and then guess what happened? Go ahead, take it from there, Dave or John. Yeah, yeah. So David had a, a bow set in the season up to this point. And, um, you know, it, was, it made it pretty trying for me. And, you know, I was trying to be supportive, but I had enough. So I was missing a little bit to Mark and Matt, as a matter of fact. All of a sudden, I look up. It's twelve twenty-three, and in an area where we knew we wanted to go in and sit all day. It's a security cover where bucks like to take you know does in and keep from the rest of the, the rest of the bucks. And so anyway, at twelve twenty-three, I look up and here comes this you know, hot doe right underneath the tree. And right behind her is a hundred ninety-five inch whitetail. And you know, Dave made the shot, and and I I think I texted something to the effect of, of to Mark and Matt that you know, holy dear God, Dave just shot the biggest buck of his life. So I can tell you what you can go from the lowest, the lowest, the highest of highs, and, and just in a moment like that when you're out. 
and it was like the text were only like 45 minutes apart. We were like, you're lying. Yeah. He's like, no, no seriously. He just killed like a, you know, 200 inch deer and he had, it was 195, yeah. just a giant. Because we're all ragging on Dave. Like, what is his deal? Like, he's got get with the program. It's been years of this. Yeah. We have one group message with Dave in it going, it's okay, buddy. You run the next shot. You know, you've done this. Get, you know, get your head in the game. And then there's this other group message with just me, Matt, and John. We're like, what's wrong with Dave? God, he's horrible. I can't believe he's missing all these deer. And then he, he, he totally redeemed himself. <laughs> the line from Dumb and Dumber. He totally redeemed himself with a 195, a great shot, a giant deer. Uh, that, that too will be on Bow Madness this, this coming summer. So, so then the group message with Dave, we were all yeah. like, way to go, yeah, buddy. We knew, we knew you, you could do it. Do it. <laughs> 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 Nothing like a 195 to solve all your problems, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm still waiting. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. Yeah. Can oh. you bring up the rear on all of our hunting stories? <laughs> <laughs> so it goes. So I guess with all that being said, we should probably wrap it up. We've gone pretty long today, but this has been this has been awesome. I've had a blast, and, and thank you, John and Mark, for joining us. Thanks so much. Our pleasure, man. A lot of fun. Absolutely. So before we go, two quick reminders from me. Everyone out there, if you've not yet subscribed to the podcast, either the audio version or the video version, highly recommend you do that. You can get the audio version at wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild. That's where you can also submit a question. If you want one of your questions answered on a future episode, that's where you can go. And then if you want to watch the video version, if you're not already doing that right now, head over to the Drury Outdoors YouTube channel, subscribe, watch all of our old episodes, and you guys have got a lot of other great video content out there that I'd, of course, recommend too. So... I think that is all I have to share to close this up, but terrific episode, a lot of fun. Absolutely. If you want to follow everything we're doing at Drury Outdoors, you of course could go to our website, DruryOutdoors.com, or hit us on any of our social media, at uh, official Drury Outdoors on Facebook, and then at Drury Outdoors on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And uh, as Mark Kenyon alluded to, we have tons of content uh, out there to be had. So we'll keep doing uh, these these podcasts and hopefully bring in some good guests and, and good topics. And and as the fall ramps up, I have a feeling we're going to try to do more and more of these and and really try to help people real time and and even on Facebook Live, do a lot of Facebook Lives out in the field. And you've seen us do them here in the turkey season with Mark and, and myself and a few others. And we'll hopefully bring more of that type of content to you as we as we go along. So we're really looking forward to what the future holds and the technology side of things. Absolutely. Fun stuff. All right. Great chatting, everyone. Thanks again. And we will see you next time. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>